Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, food brings people together and promotes community. And here at Principle of Hospitality, we are here to disrupt the current perceptions of what the hospitality industry can achieve in today's ever-evolving and challenging environment. So that's why we're so proud to partner with Chef's Hat, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia on this season of Poe. Now, from offices in five countries, Proofing Company serves the broader Asia-Pacific region with their portfolio of independent spirits, cocktail ingredients, bar tools, glassware, and the team of highly regarded bartenders having one of the most well-regarded creative teams in the cocktail and spirit community globally. Their mantra is to think independent, drink independent. So I feel very lucky that you talk to us all the way in Singapore, Jason Williams, the head of advocacy for PNC and the beverage director at Housemaid Hospitality in Sydney. How are you, Jace? Good, thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. Um, long-time listener, so excited <laughs> to be uh, joining you today. Mate, long, long-time listener, first-time guest. Uh, always a, always <laughs> a pleasure. Um, That's it. Mate, over the last couple of months, as you know, we've we've got to know you and and had conversations. Like it's been so enlightening for me to understand more about you know the bar and beverage landscape. Something that um, sort of I haven't um, done a whole heap in my career, but um, I feel like I'm learning so much the last the last six months or so. So I think today's story and how you got into it is going to be really important, and, and people are going to learn a lot. So, how did you start out? in your hospitality career and then we can talk about, you know, we can talk about PNC and what else you're doing. Yeah, great. Well, yeah, I'm really thankful to work in such a dynamic industry where we've taken a lot of hits over the last um, 18 months and it doesn't look like it's getting any better anytime soon, but I'm always thankful to work in a really um, dynamic, um, meaningful industry like hospitality. Uh, Where did I get into it? yeah, like a lot of people, I spoke, suppose you might have spoken to, started off washing dishes and, mm-hmm. you know, working in fast food joints. And then um, I grew up in Coolum Beach in Queensland. So I worked at the big Hyatt, Hyatt Regency resort there mm-hmm. and um, and then just progressed in my hospitality career. I was, I'm a hospitality lifer. So as soon as I left school, I knew I was going to do it for a career. Um, wasn't really career-minded as such, but definitely mm-hmm. just kind of, naturally progressed through restaurants, cafes, worked in nightclubs for a few years and then lived in Melbourne actually for eight years working. Yeah, I worked at a a cocktail bar institution that's no longer with us called Ginger on Brunswick Street. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was there for a few years and then worked um, at restaurants in Melbourne, opened up a few places in Melbourne, then started with brand ambassador roles and, um, you know, doing the cocktail competition circuit and going to as many events as possible. And yep. just became a huge, huge bar geek. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, eventually got poached to Sydney and I was in Sydney for over four years working for a, a large F&B group called the Keystone Group where I was, you know, kind of beverage director role managing um, supplier relations, cocktailist changes, lots of training and education. Um, yeah, spirits list, events, marketing, all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, my background's very much as a, a bartender, bartender by trade, mm-hmm. then worked my way into bar management positions, director roles, um, and then moved to Singapore to work with Proof and Company in 2015. 
Yep. Um, a good friend of mine, Zdenek Kastanek, who we used to work together at Behind Bars with Sven Almaning and Amber. Uh, he got in contact and explained the, the business model and the, the mission for Proof and Company, which mm-hmm. was an independent spirits company with this bar consultancy model attached to it. And they, mm-hmm. they wanted someone to really to firm up that model and take charge of this internal consultancy. And that's what I've been doing for almost the last seven years. Yeah. Wow. Was it, um, was it a big move for you to go over to Singapore and, and sort of take on that opportunity? Was Singapore a place you'd sort of understood before and, and, and been very much before or. Yeah. I'd actually been here a couple of times cause my sister lives here yeah, um, and she moved here just before I did. So I, I had been here, and I must say, I hadn't done any, um, you know, research into the bar scene or the restaurant scene. I had been here on a nice little Diageo junket once upon a time, um, and we went to the original Tipling Club, yep. which was uh, owned and run by Matt Bax, who I'm friends with, and, you know, I was an admirer of his work. Other than that, you know, I drank Tigers in Hawker Centres. It wasn't really something that I was looking to get into while I was yep. in Singapore. Mm-hmm but I was relatively familiar with the market. I knew of um, some bars that had opened up 28 Hong Kong street, yep. which hopefully we get to talk about mm-hmm. um, Jigger and Jigger and pony and uh, cufflink club. So there, I knew that there was um, a burgeoning high quality international cocktail bar scene happening here. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, it was a bit of a calculated risk moving to Singapore. I was very comfortable in Sydney um, and yeah, but and, and to be honest, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into with Proof and Company. <laughs> I I didn't realize the the uh, the enormity of the role, and I yeah. didn't realize honestly, I didn't realize the opportunity that was in front of me. Um, I knew it was definitely exciting and dynamic, and it was going to be creative, and it's it's and it is a dream job. Yes, but um, I didn't realize what fully what I was getting myself in for. Yeah, because well, we had um. We had Paul Gabby from Eco Spirits on, you know, a couple of episodes ago. I'm sure people remember that podcast, um, talking about that. Obviously, his involvement with with Proof and Company as well. Um, to sort of give people an understanding of what Proof and Company does from a consultancy level, like how would how do you sort of explain that to people? Because it's very, it's a very niche, very um, but very important part of you know hospitality consulting. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a model that Paul Gaby and Spencer Forhart, um, our co-founders, developed. Um, I, I believe it is very unique in the world. It certainly doesn't exist in places like the US. And um, I love that we have an integrated company where we have our own cocktail bar. We have a bar consultancy, but you know we have a, quite a significant distribution business. Mm-hmm. That was um, designed on purpose by Paul and Spencer. Um, and in a nutshell, that's what we are. We're a, we're a fully-fledged bar consultancy um, that supports our distribution model and supports our brand partners in getting good representation for them in the bar projects that we work on, but also Proof Creative, which is the name of our bar consultancy, really drives the trust from an expertise point of view and advocacy point of view for Proof and Company because we, we're a value add for our distribution business. So yes. we can go into a small bar and we can, on an ad hoc complimentary basis, help with their cocktail list or do some training and education, help them choose the, the right beers or the right spirits, help choose glassware, whether they buy it from us or mm. not, it's kind of irrelevant. We're just here to help build strong relationships and build trust as a 
independent spirits company. Mm. And that's really the origin story of Proof Creative is really just going into bars, restaurants, cafes, hotels, and helping with their bar and beverage program, helping recruit staff, help, you know, literally bartending on a Friday night if they're short staff. And that just really grew and grew to a point where we now have, you know, we have six people on the team across four countries and we've got about 30, 35 different projects. And, you know, we, we book project fees now and we work on some pretty large and complicated projects. Um, Mm. And the way I describe it is we're an internal bar consultancy or an internal agency, Mm. very much modeled off like a traditional design agency, graphic design, architecture, what have you. But uh, our scope of work is building bars and beverage programs. Uh, but we certainly do come under the proofing company distribution business. Yeah. So let, let's talk about, you know, some of the, some of the projects that, you know, Proof Creative have been working on uh, over this period of time, Jace, because it's obviously it's been a challenging time for everyone in the industry. But when I think about what, what verticals of hospitality have been challenged the most, like I feel the most sorry for pubs and bars, right? Because they really rely on that connection, um, in venue in order to get more sales, you know what I mean? Like obviously um, to go cocktails has been, has been a thing which has really become strong in the last 18 months across the world, but it, it, it will no way formulate the amount of money that's been lost with inside bars and with inside pubs over the last 18 months. So what kind of projects have you guys been working on during that period of time of these, you know, lockdowns happening in the countries you work in? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the, there are exceptions to the rule, but I think the reality is that um, for the kind of bars and restaurants that we deal with, um, home delivery or takeout options are just not going to come close to replacing the revenue that they're going to achieve. Now, regardless, we have been supporting some of our bar and restaurant partners with their bottle cocktail offerings, mm-hmm. um, take, take home or make it home uh, packages, um, whether that's helping to source bottle samples or just providing business directories for clients across Asia or Australia on where to get boxes or where to get certain packaging items mm-hmm. um, or connecting them with brand agencies that can help with some graphic design. Yeah, we've been heavily involved with working with our accounts or consultancy partners on helping them to activate some little other revenue streams. Um, at, at 28, you know, we've, We've added a heap of products to the website, whether it's caps, T-shirts, spice nuts, um, you know, cards against humanity, you know, like (laughs) different beers and all that kind of stuff, just to kind of scramble and see what what other people want to add to their basket as they're checking out. Yes. Um, And, you know, we've really thought, thought long and hard around how we can add value in times of uncertainty when people certainly don't have the budget for consultancy, which we didn't want, Yes, but also also really didn't have many options when it came to how to generate revenue in their business. So as a distributor, we had products like Eco Spirits and True Believers products, which are spirit brands that we developed and products and technology we helped develop, mm-hmm. which actually can help people's bottom line. It's not just a sustainability story, but we could also demonstrate that um, by making smarter choices with their house poor spirits. They could actually improve their margins, which is helpful in a difficult trading period. Yep. Um, and then, and then we just did a lot of free work. You know, we said, okay, how do, how can we help um, drive event business? How do we drive virtual sales? How do we drive virtual experiences? 
um, and offered a lot of support about future planning as well. Mm-hmm. So we, we all can't just assume that we're not going to get out of this. We've always worked off the assumption that we've got a bright future ahead. So yep. we've always been planning like, what is the outreach strategy for our, our existing clients? What, let's start working on the new menu. You know, let's start thinking about training initiatives. So we've really been future thinking and, and providing expertise and support to our clients on an ad hoc basis. Yeah. That's really exciting um, and really impressive, right? Because I knew it was going to be, you know, a, definitely a tough time. Um, I want to talk about when we caught up, you know, a couple of months ago and we started to have conversations and obviously, you know, I delve in consultancy in the well, not, not into bars nearly as much. Um, but you talked about this 20 pillar concept, right? That PNC sort of moves to. Can you explain to me, what that means for the listeners and how that's sort of important for how you guys do your strategy and therefore, you know, how people can think about their venues as well. Yeah, for sure. It's something that we've developed um, with over the last seven years, particularly with our more successful consultancy projects and and partnerships with Manhattan, Mm. Atlas um, and working with some of our hotel clients. It's we've developed a framework of thinking when approaching a bar concept to really take this holistic approach when developing a bar. So the, the experience is cohesive and all the different elements are working towards the same concept or the same guest experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we like to say that there's, there's no scientific formula or algorithm or mathematical equation to creating a great bar experience. Mm-hmm. The closest that someone has gotten to that is probably something like Starbucks or McDonald's, yep. but <clears throat> it's just not the, part of the industry that we work in. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to creating a great bar experience, it's a little bit, a little bit science, a little bit art. It's a culinary endeavor. There's a bit of magic. There's a bit of romance and you put it together and hopefully get a great bar experience. But we did need to create some kind of creative process and some framework when we were dealing with our consultancy clients, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, they came to us looking for expertise because they lacked that expertise particularly in the hotel world, um, a director of food and beverage just might not know much about the bar industry and what good looks like, mm. but um, had a space where they wanted to activate a great bar. Yes. So we needed to create a kind of almost an easy to follow um, framework, what we call the 20 pillars, which really just breaks down the bar and the bar experience into 20 different areas. Okay. Honestly, um, a lot of the people that will be listening to this podcast and that you and I deal with in our careers do this already instinctively. Yes. Um, but it's really healthy for us to put it into some rigid framing because then we get better results. We have a more cohesive result when we're approaching the different elements of what makes a bar. Yes. And it also means we're all working off the same page, pun unintended. Mm. It means there's this almost like a, a non-binding emotional contract that we develop this 20 pillar contract mm-hmm. that we then all, all agree to, whether it's the interior designer, the owner, the hotelier, the, the bar manager, the, the brand agency, everybody has input and then agrees to this 20 pillars. Yes. And then we all go off and that's when we get creative within it, those different pillars. Mm. The first one for us is also something that we're quite famous for. We've become really well known for this 20 pillar thinking um, and which given us great success. Another thing that we're quite well known for is our, our passion and commitment to concept. 
So a bar for us needs to have a defined concept and something that's compelling. That can be quite low concept. For example, 28 Hong Kong Street, just to mm. name drop our bar again. Yes. It's, it's, um, it, it's what we would call low concept. So it's pretty simple. It's a, a neighborhood American-inspired cocktail bar. Yep. But that means that means we only do do things and make decisions based upon that concept, which means mm. the brand, the music, the food, the drinks, the the styling of the drinks, the style of hospitality, the tone of voice on the Instagram, all kind of fit that brief. Yes. And then you'll have other bars that are more thematic that um, will also have a really defined concept, but then it drives all the creative decisions and commercial decisions. Sure. Um, based upon that concept. So concept's the number one pillar, mm-hmm. but then we've created this framework in which we then create work streams and creative and critical thinking on 19 other different pillars in the venue. And that's obvious ones such as drinks and food. Yep. And then there's some more perhaps um, esoteric, albeit just as important, such as ambiance or technology or sustainability. Um, and then there's OSNE layout, price positioning and financial models. So yeah, mm-hmm. we've developed this 20 pillar creative process um, as a way to frame up our creative process when creating a bar. Um, sure. And we, we want to share it with everyone because it's not a recipe to build a bar. You still need to do the creative thinking and do the, the grit. Yes. Um, but it is really helpful. We've had really good feedback from independent operators and hotel operators around taking this formula and then applying it to their concept. Do you find that it's been beneficial as well? This is probably more of a um, personal question for me. Do you find it's been beneficial for you guys as consultants to work then work with other, you know, agencies as well and say, okay, well, these are the train tracks. This is this is what we're all agreeing to. Like, and it just allows people to not go and get confused in like what the idea of the bar is, like where we're going to go with design, where we're going to go with the brand vision and all that kind of stuff. It just allows like a simple conversation in order to say, no, well, this is what it is. Like keep with inside these tram tracks. We want you to be super creative, but like make sure you keep it inside these tram tracks. It must be such an easier way to work. 100%. And you just, mm. you just described it really well. Um, what's been really inspirational for me in this role over the last, you know, six, seven years has been the knowledge transfer between us as a bar consultancy and then other disciplines such as interior design, branding, kitchen kitchen contractors, main contractors, music consultants, uniform designers. Um, because I think for a long time, unless you were the owner operator and you came from a bar background, not enough um, consideration was placed upon what actually was the beverage product that you were putting out. Yep. Um, there's the old cliche of, the designers creating this amazing venue, but all the money gets pumped into the toilets and the beautiful <laughs> toilet design, but yes. no, no thought goes into the operations of the bar and the, and the layout and the practicalities. Furthermore, there's a lot of venues out there that just don't have a cohesive product because the interior design is working in their silo yeah. and you've got the F&B team, whether it's the chef or the bar manager or whatever, doing their own thing. Yep. Then you've got the brand agency that comes in and does their own thing. And that provides some kind of um, uh, incomprehensible concept. And the guest picks up on that, you yeah. know, over, yeah. that means that the, the, the pro, the bar might not have sustainability. Um, there'll be concept drift and you'll have a confused 
beverage product or a confused bar experience. So we've really relished this opportunity where we've gotten ourselves into a position of trust with our clients where people say, what is the concept? So we develop the concept first and then we brief the interior designer. We brief the brand agency. We brief the the executive chef or the culinary team Mm -hmm. and we kind of quarterback that creative process. And Mm. it's, we see the best results for a bar from a business perspective or creativity perspective when we all get together and work off the same concept brief. Um, and I, and I love the, I love the fact now that we've, um, we're educating some of those other stakeholders. You know, we get interior designers that come to us now saying we never knew that we needed you. We yes. never realized that we needed an expert in bar and beverage. Yes. Which is crazy to think because mm. for some of these projects, 80, 70, 80, 90% of the revenue and <laughs> is, is on the beverage. <laughs> and yet, and yeah. you know, millions of dollars being spent on flooring. Yeah. And there's a, a rich narrative around the materiality or the patternization of the room, yet it doesn't connect with what the drinks are being served or the, the branding and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's really been interesting creating this um, twenty pillar framework and then getting other stakeholders that I really respect and admire to to buy into that so we get a really cohesive result. Yeah. So you guys almost become like the project manager for the whole for the whole thing. I think it's a really smart smart thing. And I think I think the other thing to sort of take away, it's 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 all about expectation, right? Like you're just giving expectations of the people that you're working with and also for your client. And that's all people want. And it's it's sort of a learning that we can, you know, teach people who are working with inside these venues as well. All they want to know is what what's what's the expectation of me in this role? What do you what do you want me to do to deliver on the experience that you're trying to get? Um, so having these sort of tram tracks in place, I think is, um, very, very smart as you can sort of pick up Mm -hmm. on what I'm saying. Um, let's talk about, you know, the other work that you're doing. Cause obviously, um, I talked about in the intro there, Jason, about, um, being the beverage director of, um, of housemaid hospitality in Sydney. Now, as we're recording this in sort of early September, Sydney's still in lockdown. Hopefully by the time we release this in a couple of weeks, it's not, um, but how does how do you balance in that that work in Sydney with also what you're doing, you know, with Proof and Company in Singapore and throughout Southeast Asia? Yeah, I, you'll have to ask my business partners around <laughs> my efficacy of balancing them both. But the, um, I mean, I, I'm obviously not in Sydney, and travel restrictions have made it almost impossible for me to get back there. Um, I've already missed a flight that I had two weeks ago. Oh wow! Um, yeah. Yeah, because you know, Sydney's in lockdown at the moment, mm. unfortunately, mm. as you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I work a lot. Um, I compartmentalise quite well. Um, i pretty rigid with um, when I'm working on something. I try not to get distracted. Um, and I'm pretty passionate and I love what I do. And so there's that's on a personal level. Um, but I also just have... I have the privilege of being part of an amazing team in Sydney and that's from our, um, our directors, my business partners um, through to some of our full-time staff and in the leadership positions. So my bars manager at Hinchcliffe house, Alyssa Gabrielle, she's, she's incredible. She's an actual, an actual dynamo and super creative, but also hardworking. Plus we've got, you know, people like Crito that are doing the wine. So I've got really, really an amazing team. Mm-hmm. Um, I work for them 
so when I say I've got a team, we've got an amazing team. Yes. So, and I, I contribute from a conceptual level and beverage direction level based upon the concepts that, um, that Stephen, Justin, Scott and Roger and I will develop for the few venues that we've got currently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, there was a time difference. It means I'm up early quite often. It means I'm working late quite often to make <laughs> up for some deliverables. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, like I joked about previously, they're a good account for proofing company and we get, I get to also build my brand. We just gin in there and there's a lot of synergy with what we're doing at Housemate Hospitality, yep. which is also very independent minded passionate about people, passionate about brands, passionate about community, very similar to Proof and Company. So there's yep. a lot of um, brand alignment there and synergy mm. um, creatively, um, ethically, but also commercially. So um, seems to be working so far. Do you think um, Do you think the independent bar scene, independent, um, even independent pub scene, like do you think that's going to be something which is going to become more prevalent now that, you know, we start to open – venues again because obviously we've got we do have big conglomerates um here in australia who are who are really good at what they do as well but we're also seeing some independence coming into the bar scene where maybe that hadn't been you know as big before like like are you thinking that's gonna that's gonna come through a bit more moving forward yeah i think so um even if it's not i think with with what's happened the trauma that's that the industry has suffered over the last 18 months, I, I, I'm hypothesizing that we won't see a flurry of small independent bars opening up just because mm. of the, 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 the stress that everyone's been under. Sure. But, uh, but the Australian F&B market is highly consolidated. Um, there's big, big, big independent groups yes. from your Maryvale down. Yep. Then you got your big pub groups. Um, and I think there might be just a further element of small consolidation, similar to housemate hospitality. Yep. We have, um, we've got, I think seven venues split across two buildings at the moment. Right. So we're, so two properties. Mm-hmm. So we would consider ourselves small, mm. but you know, we've got growth plans and ambition. And I think there's probably other comparable small independent groups that are just going to be grow at a, at a, a slower rate, but um, you, they would just organically become groups. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think there'll be more small independent groups mm. um, over the next few years. But yeah, Australia is actually really consolidated compared to Asia, right. um, compared to the US. I think you, the UK is probably more comparable where there are these large pub groups and large bar groups, so like cocktail bar chains in the UK. Yep. Yep. Um, Australia is probably more similar to that. Mm. Okay. Um. As, as bars and restaurants are, you know, starting to open up again um, throughout most of your clientele through, you know, um, Southeast Asia and whatnot, Jay, it's like what, what innovations do you think are going to start to be used? What, are you, what innovations are you excited about at the, as these venues sort of open up? Like you said, you know, at the start of the podcast about dropping different things into the, to the website that, you know, that you thought people might like and add to their basket and that kind of stuff, like – are you seeing any kind of exciting on innovations that are exciting you moving forward? Yeah. The, the one that springs to mind is technology. Mm. It's a, it's something that we've recently added into our 20 killer thinking. Um, I, I'm more of a traditionalist when it comes to the bar experience. Yep. I, I'm of the opinion that the bar or pub or cafe or restaurant is, is one of the last real true bastions of human connectivity and social um, 
connection. Agree. Um, and, and so a lot of, particularly when I, well, particularly with my time in Asia, particularly North Asia, China, Japan, Korea, mm-hmm. a lot of our clients and a lot of people like to use tablets for menus, for example, which yes. I hate. Yes. Um, for a few reasons, it's impersonal. It's, it's not very, you know, it's hard to make something on concept when it's the same piece of equipment. Yep. Plus, they're just a bit, they can be a bit dirty and sticky and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So, I was always, other than other than your POS system, res, reservation system, inventory management, um, I was always a little bit skeptical around the use of technology, mm-hmm. guest facing, to yep. really try to enhance the guest experience, yep. especially if it's just for efficiencies and just to um, reduce the your head count in your venue. Yep. I was always very skeptical. But like a lot of, things that's happened over the last 18 months, there's certain things that have been expedited or these trends or these norms that have been expedited, bottle cocktails, mm-hmm. merchandise, takeout delivery options. That's all people were dabbling in it a little bit, but now people have like developed full brands, mm. business models, and really lent into that out of necessity, but then will become probably permanent revenue streams for a lot of businesses. Yep. The technology piece is interesting because a lot of people just – again, dip their toes in the water in, with technology, whether it's in venue or virtually, mm. but now have realized that they need to really lean into it and invest in um, <clears throat> online menus, <clears throat> excuse me, invest in online menus or invest in um, some other things in the venue to enhance the guest experience. Um, so some examples of that would be beautiful online menus that are animated. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're right. Um, animated, um, interactive, really colorful, vibrant, dynamic menus that tell a story. Mm. So, really taking the, the in venue experience, but um, making it just as compelling and interesting on a handheld device, or if you're sitting at home wanting to order something. Mm. Some examples that I'll put out there would be Manhattan here in Singapore and also MO Bar here in Singapore. Okay. Both previously both previously have been proof creative clients, but mm. regardless, um, they're good examples. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's happening at your table with the cocktail list. So, you know, it's been done before, but I think you'll start seeing a bit more AR being implemented yep. through your phone. So, yep. um, you know, animated garnishing on the cocktail or... Nice some kind of informative or educational or infotainment, I guess, on your phone where the garnish comes to life or the ingredients pop up on your phone and start dancing on the table. That's what we're starting to see with venues such as Argo at Mm -hmm. the Four Seasons in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Um, And then content is king, right? And so venues now are investing more time, energy and budget into creating whether it's video content or written content or still photography for people to take that experience of the cocktail or the food or the music to take that home with them Mm. or to access that on their couch or on the train or wherever it might be. So investing in technology to, to build a brand and build that guest experience outside of the four walls of the bar. And then there's some, cool stuff that I've heard about coming, which I haven't dabbled into much yet, but mm-hmm. using AI, plugging AI technology into the music soundtrack through sensors and recording wow. devices and heat mapping the room mm-hmm. and isolating speakers. So if you've got a large venue and um, 
you know, you've got a high concentration of bodies in one part of the room, then the, 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 the music volume and the acoustics would be adjusted in that part of the room. Um, not just settings, but also using AI to potentially change the, the volume, the, uh, the genres of music, and therefore the energy levels of the music based upon how many reservations you've got, the acoustics in the room, um, and that kind of stuff. That's really cool. Um, Agreed. Yeah, so technology, and um, I was listening to another podcast and they filtered, featured, um, I think it was Will Gadera from the Make It, formerly of Make It Nice group, and mm-hmm. he was talking about technology and venues, and one small thing they did, which we also do now, is we also we'll always try to make the POS screens hidden. Yes. Taking a cue taking a cue from the, a lot of people do this, but taking a cue from the retail environment where they have them sunken on the countertop with a piece of glass over the top. Yep. Because he said he doesn't want to make the bar experience, or sorry, his, his restaurant experience for us, it's bars. doesn't want to make it transactional. So we really want to use, we want to implement technology, mm. but hide the technology at the same time. So we yeah. want to enhance people's experience. Yeah. We want to be able, yes, to be able to take that experience away with them, mm. but at the same time, definitely make it non-transactional. So we're kind of hiding the technology at the same time. So that's something that we've started thinking and talking about a lot more and looking forward to leaning into that a little bit more too. So that's a really good point. Like I, I often don't think of that. I think, um, you know, QSR venues have, have made a big point of <laughs> knowing where to order and all that kind of stuff and also almost use POSs as a way to navigate so, navigate a customer to know where to order, Right. But in mm-hmm. but in situations like bars where it's all about the experience and part of that is not ordering up at a well sorry part of that is not seeing someone punching your um, drink order into a into a POS um, not nearly as much so I think um, that's a that's a really cracking insight I love that yeah uh, and, and another example that we're you know over the last couple of years has been a lot of talk around um, ordering apps yes. Um, and again, I think there's been um, people have been hesitant to adopt it. I've mm. been skeptical. Yep. But you know, we're, we're in the planning phase at the moment for a site in in Bondi, Bondi Pavilion. Yep. And um, we're just working off the assumption that most people will want to order off the app. Um, we'll have our own app, but we'll make it super easy to order. And it just means that people can enjoy each other's company a lot more instead of lining up at the bar. Agreed. Or sp- spilling their drinks as they walk it back to the table. Mm. So there's a bit of a there's a bit of a mindset that has to change in terms of how do we utilize technology. But if we work off the principle of we're using the technology to enhance the, the beverage and the guest experience, and we're going to make it less transactional. Yeah. I think that's a good place to work from when we're implementing technology. Yeah. It's that, it's that balance of tech and human interaction, right? Like what, what part of the human interaction from a staff member do you want to keep? What do you, what do you want to elevate? And then what part of it do you, do you want to take out? Because, you know, um, I never get excited when I'm trying to flag down a waiter to get another drink order or another, you know, another part of my meal, right? That's, that's never yeah. exciting for, for a guest. So. And, and something I spoke to my team about is that, is this, that, and everybody's been through it. You have an absolutely amazing experience. You might've been there for 30 minutes or three hours. You've eaten and drink drunk, like a legend and you're having a great time, yeah. you have a really good feeling about the venue and then you ask for your bill and then it takes a dis- disproportionate amount of time for that bill to get to you. Yes. Then you have to 
check it on a piece of paper, yep. give your card over. Mm-hmm. Um, you might also be splitting it. So then it turns into this awkward social situation yes. where you're, you're Oh, no, you pay it. No, oh, you pay yeah. it. Oh, no, I'll get it next to it. Like it's, oh, it's all <laughs> then, you, then, you, then you've got someone that just had a sand pal that doesn't even want to chip in. And, and <laughs> We all know that and person, then you, Jason. Yeah, yeah, and then you are... Uh, and then you have to wait even longer because your section waiter or your bartender has dropped that off at a cashiering station. Yes. Has just walked away from it. Yeah. And when you're in the industry, you know what's happening and you're like, oh, I was feeling so good, but I've really got to get to my dinner booking or I yeah. really need to catch my train or something like that. And so that straight away, it, it makes it transactional and we want to get away from the experience to feel transactional. We want it to be a bit more human. Yeah, and I think that's a, I think that's another really good insight. I think we we often and, and I do in my consultancy as well, like focus a lot on the first thirty seconds, right, of the guest interaction, and and we try and focus on the last, you know, the last little bit as well, whether that be two minutes or five minutes or thirty seconds as well. But I think sometimes as an industry, because you know it, it's not easy um, to keep that level of guest experience high, that once everything is supposedly paid for or once the meal is out, like we don't think about what that end, tra- that end customer experience needs to be. So I think that's a, um, that's another great insight, Jason. Um, last question to you, mate. Like you're doing so much creative stuff. Like every time I talk to you off the podcast, I'm excited. Um, but what are you looking forward to sort of professionally and personally over the next, over the next 12 months as we navigate a reopening of our industry? Yeah, I mean, the, the opening of Sydney and Melbourne is, is something that we're all really gunning for. And that's across the two businesses that I work for, but yeah. obviously specifically for Hinchcliffe House. We, um, we'd only been open for a matter of months when we had to shut down Hinchcliffe House. We had 106 people on the payroll. We had four, four businesses going, five, um, and others in the works within that building and precinct. Um, we had... We had an amazing review for our restaurant, Lana, from John Lethlian, four, mm-hmm. four out of five, and just a glowing reference. But that came out on a Sunday and lockdown started on the Monday. <laughs> so um, we really Gosh. started to get a, you know, our financials and um, the marketing and our trade really started to get a, get a bit of traction with all those things. Yep. Um, and then we had yep. to shut down. So, yeah, really looking forward to um, reopening Hinchcliffe House and Housemate Hospitality to to come back strong. We're working on Bondi Pavilion, so mm. we're working on a concept for that, which is scheduled to open Q1, Q2 next year. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I'm just really hoping for all my friends and colleagues and peers in Sydney and Melbourne for the opening in, in those parts of the world. For, for the consultancy part of the business, we've got lots of cool stuff happening. Um, we just saw the opening of Argo at the Four Seasons in Hong Kong. Yeah, nice. Exceptional, beautiful bar. I suggest everyone checks it out. Mm-hmm. Um and some of the, the projects that we're working on at the moment, pretty wide and varied. We're working on a fermentation bar in Hanoi in Vietnam with a, wow. a micro distillery there. Mm-hmm. We're working um, on a few different Four Seasons properties. Mm-hmm. Um, Osaka, new property in Osaka. We're working on a beautiful rooftop bar there. And, um, yeah, we're working on a few other hotel bars in, in this part of the world. So, yeah, we, we're about to really launch – creative going through a, a branding mm-hmm. phase which is really exciting so mm-hmm. we're going to be publishing this 20 pillar um, terminology and framework it'll be on our website and Amazing. we'll, we'll um, you know obviously be here to help with anyone if they've got any questions whether we work together or not I'm, I'm not 
really available for anyone to reach out and speak to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another really exciting thing is um, the 10th anniversary of our small little bar here in Singapore, which is called 28 Hong Kong Street. Yeah, wow. Uh, I've already plugged a couple of times, <laughs> but I guess I'll plug it again. Why not? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I want to come now. So. <laughs> oh, we, well, that's the thing. 28, um, it's a late night venue. So yep. we, we, we used to open until 4 a.m. Friday, Saturdays. Wow. It's, it can be get loose, dance on the bar. It's, you know, strong cocktails and hip hop and yep. good times, but um, 10 years and we're going to have a little COVID appropriate celebration, which will be a little bit more low key. Yes. Well, at least, at least you can have some celebration to, to kick the night off for 10 years. I mean, that's, um, that's a blessing. Um, Jace, I think a lot of people are going to want to connect with you and learn more about, you know, what you're doing at, at Proof Creative Proofing Company and also Housemade. Like what's the best way that people can contact you and, and have a chat? Yeah, my um, my Instagram is probably the easiest to remember. It's yep. mixing mixing drinks at well at mixing drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my Instagram. So I can reply to anyone there. Cool. My email address is Jason Williams mm-hmm. at proofandcompany.com. Sweet. So we'll link that up in the yeah. show notes of this podcast as always. So you can connect with Jason. He's an absolute wealth of knowledge and an absolute gentleman. So definitely reach out to him. Jason, thanks so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been great to chat. Cheers. <laughs> thanks again for tuning into another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you've really enjoyed this one. I know you have. So please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We're making this content with the industry in mind. So we'd really appreciate you sharing it along. All you need to do, Go into the podcast right now and just share it with your best mate. Super simple. Thanks as well to our supporter, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia, Chef's Hat, where the industry shops. And if you don't know us at Pose, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in the world. So if you're looking for something around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, then you can find them at principaldesign.com.au and myself at openpantryconsulting.com for anything to do with systems, processes to make your business run even more smoothly. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Chef's Hat for supporting us. And until next time, stay safe.